what's wrong with having a good for a change. Now they're going to let us have a good if we just help them. They're going to leave us alone. Let us make some money. You can have a little taste of that good life too. Now I know you want it. Hell, everybody does. Do it to your own kind. What's the threat? We all sell out every day. Might as well be on a winning team. All right, hi. Welcome to Last Believer, a podcast about good riddance. My name is Josh Lindley. I go by he, him, and each week, me and Dan Forcier, also he, him, talk about three different songs by Santa Cruz punk band Good Riddance, unless someday we decide to change the format, which who knows, maybe we will sometime. Uh, This week, (laughs) we're talking about the songs Judas and the Morning After Pill. We're talking about yesterday's headlines, and we're talking about the modern English cover, I Melt With You. And if you want to uh, reach out to us and give us ideas for uh, switching up the uh, format, because, you know, you want to give us that constructive criticism, don't. No, just kidding. You can uh, reach out to us by email, uh, lastbeliever_pod at gmail.com, or give us a follow on Instagram and, um, yeah, slide into the DMs there and let us know if you have any questions, concerns, or, uh, again, constructive criticism. Um, or if there's anything that we say that uh, I don't want to say that necessarily you take exception to, but you don't agree with and you want to chat it out, reach out to us. We love being accountable. Spend a fair amount of time on our phones anyway. I have, I have my phone next to me and two different laptops. Yeah. So, yeah. Always, Always. glowing rectangles. Uh, while you're using your glowing rectangles, we keep a playlist going for this podcast as well so that you have some idea of what we're talking about. If maybe you're not super familiar or just into a different neighborhood of punk than we end up talking about all the time. And you can find that at the Last Believer podcast playlist on Spotify and on Apple. Dan, what else is going on this week that you want to talk about before we roll into this? I don't know. This week is a, is a, it was just a long weekend here, you know, up in uh, Ontario. And uh, yeah, man, these short weeks always really stress me out. But I did have a really fun weekend. Saw, saw a Last Believer sticker at the Niagara Falls, you know. Uh, that was fun. Went to the casino. That was fun. Did you enjoy your long weekend? <laughs> did, did you go over the border? No. No. Oh. No, no, uh, I, was no on- I, I, was, I was working. I work uh, at bars. And then Monday we were closed. And I woke up Monday morning and pulled something in my neck immediately. So oh, I no. did nothing. Yeah. Real boring. Uh, the first song we're going to be talking about is the first song on the Good Riddance side of the split seven inch with Kill Your Idols from 2001. The lineup here is Dave Wagon Shoots and Russ and Luke and Chuck. And the name of the song is Judas in the Morning After Pill. Dan, what'd you think of this one? All right. So I, at first I was like, all right, folks, going to have to break out the thesaurus here because Unky Russ is going to be dropping some $5 words on us um that was at my first listen but then i was like you know it's actually i'm like kind of joking it's uh it's it's wordy but it's not pretentious at all it just mm-hmm. sounds you know it's i reread the lyrics the day after i wrote that and i was like i don't know what the hell i was like what the hell are you talking about it's not that but you know it's uh it kind of goes to when we were first talking about how uh extending the old uh, lexicon there and putting some uh, some bigger words in to uh really convey that point anyways I digress already. So there's the quote in the song right before the music kicks, kicks in, basically, or right before Russ kicks in. Basically, it's like, we all sell out every day. May as well be on the winning team every now and again, I think, right? Anyway, but anyway, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. 
I thought that was a really great line to end that soundbite on, even though the soundbite was like a third of the entire song. Um, yeah. It just because especially like what it what it kicks into um, song is like your your classic take on people, quote unquote, selling out uh, on the scene, um, you know, maybe putting aside their ideals to make some money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's like um, New Direction by Grill Biscuits or even to a different but somewhat in the same vein, like no, um, the explosion has no revolution, like how there's no revolution anymore. And it's just people aren't like really fighting anymore. And yeah, people are kind of, again, like putting aside what they used to believe in to uh to, to get paid don't get me wrong i think everyone should get paid but you know with anyways that's actually a slippery slope i'm not going to go into there let's just forget i said that part <laughs> um but um yeah no sorry back to the song it's i i really like the the almost like existential crisis of asking like are we the liable ones mm-hmm. and i re i personally read that as we like the royal we, not just specifically like good riddance here. Kind of, did we make punk and hardcore too palatable? Was it just too accessible for like major labels to find their way to like just dig into it, exploit the uh, the sound and the the culture? I I don't know. Like or did, yeah, did the world or did the world just get so fucked up that everyone can see what's fucked up and it's easier to understand what punks are trying to convey? sure through their music because it's just like yeah everything is fucked there is that that aspect of it the way that i was kind of looking at this song was more in terms of a commercial success of of a band so i don't want to name any names because i don't want to sound like i'm taking shots and they're probably bands that i listen to but just like for lack of a better term like did the culture kind of get soft Mm -hmm. you know in terms of it, it just making pop music which again i like a lot of it so i'm not shitting on it but was it made too accessible for these kind of emotions to come through because it's you know you you can look at bands um you know like sorry say what you will about bands like rise against and anti-flag two bands on major labels that have not watered down their sound or their message you know and they use their platform that continues like spreading their perspective messages whether it be about politics whether it be about animal rights um, all kinds of stuff like that. Like that's, you know, I, those are the, your bands that are doing good positive things with their uh, their platform. But then, you know, I kind of look at other bands that kind of saw a meal ticket and maybe switched up to make a more palatable sound mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. But I think you have a, a good point of maybe the world was fucked up enough to be ready for it too. But I mean, for a minute song, you know, after the sound thing, uh, really delivers uh, delivers on the message, packs a nice punch, and uh, yeah, it's making me have an existential crisis of, are we the liable ones? Did we make it too easy and too soft for for it to, to lose a little bit of that fire in the belly? Hey, listen, this is where we lose some friends, but I'm gonna say it. The punk bands I listen to aren't the ones that started sounding like John Mellencamp and Bruce Springsteen. And whatever, nothing against John Mellencamp or Bruce Springsteen. It's just that, you know, if you've got a band that sounds like MDC and bands that try to sound sort of like MDC versus bands that want to slow down and play more melodic stuff and still somehow fall underneath this supposedly, supposedly revolutionary form of music, basing your entire sound and idea and career on 
you know, essentially the poor man's Bob Dylan is not necessarily the way to do it. And again, nothing sure. against Bob Dylan. He does his thing. It's fucking great, obviously, because he's Bob Dylan. But sure. does that translate into punk at some level? And to be a 40 year old and still be thinking about this stuff is super annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is I awful. have better shit to do. <laughs> well, and yeah, and like this is not something that I've thought about in a long time. Like you and I both have very diverse tastes of music, where to the point where I wouldn't even think twice if I'm listening to insert super popular money making pop punk band here, and then sure. listening to Minor Threat. I'm just like I like all kinds of stuff. It happens. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what does genres even mean? Correct. All right, so. <laughs> They Live is where this chunk of dialogue is from. Um, they Live, unlike a bunch of the other movies that we've talked about uh, that sound clips come from on this podcast, unlike the rest of those movies, They Live holds the fuck up. They Live is the story of a dude who's just looking for work and he finds a pair of sunglasses and when he puts them on, he can see the true messages on billboards and in magazines. The dude I'm talking about, by the way, is deceased WWF and WCW superstar Rowdy Roddy Piper, a.k.a. George <laughs> Toombs from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, he does an amazing job acting the hell out of They Live, which is a John Carpenter classic. John Carpenter has done not all the best horror movies, but all the best horror movies. And um, <laughs> Hot Rod's skills really come out when he and his co-worker and I guess friend get into a minute's and minutes and minutes long fight where there are punches and kicks like in any movie, but there's also body slams and headbutts. And eventually the hot rod convinces Keith David to put on these sunglasses that he's found because the whole fight of course was about Keith David, not wanting to put on the sunglasses, solid script writing. Um, so <laughs> now hot rod and Keith David are on a mission to find out what the hell is going on. And they get to this weird underground bunker where they run into Randy Quaid and Randy Quaid says, we all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. And They Live has been memed all to hell. And most people hearing this probably don't even know about the the meme of Rowdy Roddy Piper putting on the sunglasses and putting it back down and then whatever weird photo on the other thing. It's like Drake with the hand away and the, yeah, yeah. You know, the come here thing. It's <laughs> basically the same thing. Um, but yeah, They Live is totally worth watching. I don't know if it's on any streaming things, but definitely worth watching They Live, if for no better reason than the like eight minute long fight scene in the middle of it, where it's just like two construction worker dudes beating the piss out of each other. Now, <laughs> the song title, Judas and the Morning After Pill. So Judas Iscariot was one of the characters in that book uh, that tells you to hate gays and kill firstborn sons and obey your parents and cut off the heads of those that speak out against you. I think it was called uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay, cool. Anyway, no, Judas <laughs> is one of the disciples. Judas is one of the disciples of Jesus uh, in that other book. Uh, and it shares a lot of the plot points as a lot of the stuff in Game of Thrones. Go figure. It's like it's the what could be known as the greatest story ever told. Anyway, uh, Judas <laughs> is the guy that rats out Jesus and the other disciples. Snitch. And then he gets 30 pieces of silver and so Jesus gets crucified for saying that he's the son of God. And as the intro tells us, Judas sold out because he wanted to be on the winning team. As for the morning after pill, uh, I feel like that might be more about regret or trying to take back a decision that was made that maybe is a mistake and you didn't Ooh. realize it at the time. I don't know. Uh, the song itself, though, what a crusher. Mm -hmm. um, 
the way that riff chugs in, the drums rolling, and we have a perfect example of what Good Riddance is great at. It's reminiscent of like Fertile Fields or Shadows of Defeat. Um, you know, I feel like they're very good at side one song ones. We've talked about this a few times whenever we right. hit a song one side one. The first verse barrels through Russ's vocals are shouted but restrained enough to stay on key. And then instead of a chorus, we get a quick little guitar lead to remind us of the intro and then it's straight back into verse two. So it's like, there's no time being wasted here. And then there's no chorus at the end of the verse, but there's a change in the chords being played and here the vocal rhythm and intensity are really stepped up. Like where the first verse sounded like a plea, the third part sounds like a command and the whole thing stops on a dime. Like this whole, like it really like builds up towards the end. Um, lyrically, this song is the exact opposite of Libertine from last week. Well, maybe not the exact opposite, but where Libertine was hopeful and romantic song about the power of music, this is a lot more ominous. And uh, it's more about the loss of hope when you believe in something. And I'm saying music specifically because of the first verse when he says, could it be that our appointment has run its course? It's such a cold way to ask that question. And it really matches the restrained delivery of the vocals as well. Uh, the second verse could be interpreted maybe on a broader scale. In 2001, you know, 2001 was when selling out was maybe the most reviled too. Like there was a lot of bands who got a lot of shit for going to not even just majors, but like even bigger labels, even mm -hmm. Kill Your Idols, like took a lot of shit for going to Side One Dummy for whatever it was, their second LP and, and like getting free shoes from Vans. And like people would get shit, like selling out was you know, also I was 20 at the time. So of course this is when I would have noticed it most. Same. Um, of course I was also working at a giant radio station. So like I stopped calling people a sellout the second I got accepted to college. <laughs> to be honest, because you know, every, everyone is somebody's poser, <laughs> but when, Ru <laughs> but... sorry, that was good. I did, yeah. yeah. Uh, but what Russ gets at when he talks about uh, subjugating or quelling, or sorry, subjugations quelling the revolution that once filled the air. It doesn't have to be about bands signing to major labels or whatever. It very easily could relate to the revolution of the mind that was the theme of, you know, the ballads from the revolution essay that I read last week, and I will not read it again, at least until we do another song from ballads. Um, and, and the third most intense part of this minute long ripper almost directly addresses someone that has sold out but also the idea of selling out yourself. So even though I doubt it's the case, I wonder if there's a specific person in mind as the Judas of his time. Um, basically though, Dan, fuck this song. <laughs> um, I can almost guarantee there's a specific person. Yeah, you think so? Yes, I'm not gonna speculate on who, sure. but maybe when there's no microphone, we could speculate on who, but- right. I did really Jello like Biafra, probably, probably Jello Biafra. Uh, Jello Biafra never sold out. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. And I was like, I was like, I don't know where you're going with that, but that's not who I had in mind. But um, oh. your uh, breakdown of your theory or your interpretation of what the, uh, the title is, I thought was spot on. You have the, the Judas, right. That does the betrayal. And then the morning after pill, like you were saying, like wanting to take it back. So someone kind of selling out and being like, fuck, I shouldn't have done that. But might also be too late. Yeah. This is why now I have an idea of who. But, uh... Yeah. Sell out. <laughs> it, 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 
What, you think so? Beep, beep that out, though. <laughs> I'd go. I'd go deeper than that. I'd go with so loud. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to the next song, or do we want to sit here shit talking heroes of ours? No, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. second song we're going to talk about this week is from symptoms of a leveling spirit again we have the third song in yesterday's headlines this is again dave wagon shoots uh russ rankin luke pabish and chuck platt on this one uh this is ryan green and bill stevenson on the boards dan did you know this one going into it this one this one has a video this one was on video games this one was a hit um i did not know it it was like in that weird era that i was just not really into skate not that i wasn't into skate punk but i just was not aware of what was everything that was going on specifically with yesterday's headlines or specifically with good riddance i should say i i just got i I got a little flustered because i was just laughing so hard that i looked at myself and how red my face got and i was like oh i know it's not a medium but fix your shit get it together anyways (laughs) listening to this song i can totally see why it was the single from the record Mm. It's a little punk. It's like a punk rock bop, you know. Like it's it's a, just a good little bouncy. Like yeah, I can, I could totally see this playing on the radio. Hear this playing on the radio. I could totally yeah, hear sure. this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being that being said, like considering what what was just said for, about Judas, um, this song, not the person. Um, even if this was on the radio, or had they signed to a major instead of working with that. Um, they're not the uh, the sellouts that we've just been talking about. Just putting that out on the record that I'm not saying that by saying like, this could have been a radio hit because I mean, their integrity was not compromised. Like there was still just the same band they've always been. Mm-hmm. The video, as you mentioned though, very of a time. Oh, I, re- sure. I really enjoy it. <laughs> Actually, <sighs> It made me even into the song a little bit more too. Watching the video, mm-hmm. just kind of the visuals going with it, I was like, "Oh, you know what? Okay, okay, all right." Let's got even more into it. And even though I did feel slightly attacked, video starts off. You got this dude wearing these baggy camo cargo shorts, and then I earlier I just say it's very of a time when I currently do wear baggy uh, cargo camo shorts. Uh, not as baggy as the dude in the video, but uh, yeah, I was like, "Fuck!" I, my style has not changed in like twenty years. You can take the kid out of hardcore. Dot dot dot. Anyways, um, another thing about the video that I noticed, and maybe it was just me, there's a dude sitting on the bench uh, in the video, like an older, maybe a middle-aged person, and he reminds me of the guy that's chugging soda in Gob's soda video. I don't know if you can picture that person, but I can swear that they are like one and the same. And I don't know if they are, but if you're thinking like 96 to what, 2001 or no, that's like 97. Either way, it's like a four, 
four or five year window at most. It's possible it could be, although Vancouver and <laughs> Santa Cruz are pretty far apart. But who knows where Good Riddance feel? I don't know. Production quality and the music, or sorry, production quality of the music and the video of the Good Riddance song, obviously way better than the indie uh, film that is Soda, but also a phenomenal video. But yeah, I'm, I'm convinced the same person. Sure. Let's prove me, someone it. can prove me wrong. Um, also, how fucking cool does Wagon Shoots look in this video? Just drumming away there. Everybody looks cool in this video. This is true. I, I have a whole bunch in my little chunk about the video as well. The last time the, we had the thesis had a statement video. of it is everyone in this video looks so fucking cool. That's awesome. Yeah, because the, the last time we had a video, I made a joke that uh, uh, three quarters of the member look members look like they're having fun, but they all look like they're having fun in this one. So that was pretty good. Um, and then like, yeah, the last little thing just about it, it's just, it's a pretty good straightforward jam and the lyric on the lyric side, it's like this self deprecating kind of sad boy nonsense that I live for. So I was on board with it. Yeah. And, um, the only other thing was because I know that this record was 32 on the, um, the billboard independent charts. I remember that from the first time we did a song on this record. Mm-hmm. Do you know if this single did any sort of tracking? Because I went to the Billboard site, was trying to go through the archives, but uh, they have a paywall. So I was not able to right. uh, find it out. And I wasn't able to find anything regarding um, if, if this tracked or if this charted in that time too. Well, okay. This is, this is cool. That's the first bit of what I wanted to talk about with this. Um, I don't know if the single actually showed up on anything, but... Pro segues. <laughs> Like we had, we had talked before about how symptoms of a leveling spirit charted. And when you, Dan asked me why I thought that was, I, you know, I answered pretty quickly, but I don't think I was wrong, but I said that it was like a post blink, post green day, you know, post limp biscuit world and how catchy, but aggressive songs and records weren't so hard to hear. Like people were ready to listen for it. Mm -hmm. And while I think that that's like what I said is true and that I totally glossed over the fact that by 2001, Fat was a fucking beast of a label. No use for mm -hmm. a name and propaganda and strung out and rise against and uh, no effects and me first and then gimme gimme's all put out records on Fat in 2001 mm -hmm. along with Symptoms of a Leveling Spirit. So that's like a fucking tidal wave of records by bands that even though, you know, other than Rise Against eventually, I guess, went on and like signed to a major, like those are all fucking huge bands. And that's an intense amount of very popular punk bands. And surely the people at Fat knew something was going to break through. Uh, mm -hmm. Jason, well, who now and then, but also still now, sings for Western Addiction, worked at Fat at the time, and he service radio stations for the label. Like he would send out singles of CDs with press kits to radio stations and not just college radio stations, but all kinds of radio stations. Melanie Kay, who lives here in Toronto, uh, worked for Fat in Canada. And she has like deep, deep, deep punk connections through Ottawa. She used to promote shows there. And also she was very good friends with all the No Means No guys. Um, and Mel was doing promotion for Fat at the time. And she's a gem and worked her ass off to get this single out to people and to make sure people were hearing it. And all those bands also toured like animals. So while the world may have been ready for it, it isn't like Good Riddance and Fat didn't work their asses off. And the result of that work was the album Symptoms of a Leveling Spirit, you know, showing up on charts. And part of that was probably the strength of the single yesterday's headlines. Mm -hmm. um, also at that point, I don't even know how singles would have really been ranked 
uh, it's bizarre to think about how everything can be easily looked at on streaming platforms now. Right. And like, even when I worked on the radio, the way they do radio ratings is insane and I'm not going to get into it, but like, there's like, this album was big for a lot of different reasons. And yeah, this song is pretty fucking great. Um, it comes in creatively and it's at a tempo that, like you were saying, like the band has played in before. There are songs that sound like this on Ballads from the Revolution. There are songs like this on, you know, other Good Riddance records. Uh, it just sort of worked for this one. And I doubt that the song was written to be a single, but I'm sure that when Bill Stevenson and Fat Mike heard it, like when when the team around Good Riddance heard the song, they knew something was up, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, the bridge in this song is unlike any other Good Riddance bridge. The vocals, you know, on the... I was going to sing it, but like can't keep from falling uh, <laughs> are really cool. It's like the opposite of text painting where... Um, you know, the word is falling, but the way it's being sung, the music is climbing and hopeful sounding, even though it's a sad sentiment, which I think is pretty cool. Um, it leads to the lyrics of the song, another like deep and introspective look at depression and ennui. You know, the hope I think is with lyrics like the world grows heavier every day is that some kid will hear it and feel less alone. You know, the world feels left, less heavy for everyone sometimes. And knowing that, there's someone else who feels the same way you do that just in itself can help. And talking about the video, Holy shit. I dream of the day when I can wear baggy camo shorts like that and a long sleeve sweater. <laughs> and like, I wish, I wish that that was still like just the domain of punks and skaters instead of like acoustic guitar playing Hootie and the Blowfish sounding dudes. Um, <laughs> and then like even, yeah. And the girl with the bondage choker and the tight white tank top also just killing it like they look so cool in this fucking video uh yeah <laughs> yesterday's headlines big thumbs up yeah no it's it's definitely a good one I can, again i can totally see why it was a single even if it didn't i don't know i was gonna say even like i don't true, know if it was I, I, I like to, i don't think it was written to be that i think it was sure. just another song on the record and russ writes catchy songs sometimes sure but i think like you were saying because of the strength of this song too and the way that it was passed around and with you know people like uh, melanie that you know uh and passing that around then yeah maybe on the strength of that, that's how it ended up charting because people were uh, were grabbing the record good hmm. it's good yeah that we're talking about is Melt With You, which is a bonus track from Forgotten Country. It's a weird thing though. I don't remember it being a bonus track on one of the copies of this CD that I had, but it is definitely a bonus track on the vinyl copy of it that I had, uh, which also I think is something that Fat Mike and Fat Records has done for a long time is they have slightly different mixes of albums, whether you're buying it on tape or CD or vinyl. And I don't know if it's, you know, a punk thing or a funny thing or an Easter egg or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, uh, Melt With You is the last song on Forgotten Country. And mm -hmm. it is Rich McDermott and Chuck Platt and Luke Pavish and Russ Rankin. And uh, Ryan Green produced it. 
Dan, you, last week you were saying that you know this one. You've listened to it a bunch. Yeah, I, ha- <clears throat> I have. Um, okay, so I remember this cover being better, though. <laughs> like oh, taking, better. Taking, taking just, into just consideration like-, like how I was like, oh, yeah, Pomps last week. I do remember this cover being better. Not in a way where I'm like, this cover is trash or anything like that. But just in like, I would remember liking it a lot more. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. It is, but I figured it out because I remembered it being faster, like sooner, you know, like more, like early, more early, earlier on in the song. I remembered it just being like a little bit faster. Right. It was actually the Stretch Armstrong cover of Melt With You that I was thinking of, which is awesome. And I do prefer it uh, over this one that we're covering. I have heard both a lot, but in my head, the my go-to, which is still a hard, like a melodic hardcore song, would be the Stretch Armstrong one. But I was like, oh, I've listened to it so many times. Yeah, it was it was that one. So I was half mistaken last Oops. week. But no, it's yeah, but it's a uh, whatever. It's it's a cover, and again, like we have good riddance with no surprise. You know, it's, it's a solid cover. Um, but no surprise that they're able to adapt like all these different genres or sorry, adapt to all these different genres and show how diversely influenced they are with like the range of covers, you know, it's like mm-hmm. your classic hardcore song, new wave song, you know, it's like there's oldies song. They can just like kind of jump all over the place and really make it work. Even if I do like it a little less than the uh, stretch Armstrong version, like it's still a very fun cover. And I really like the original in theory but lately when i've been trying to listen to it since we drew it i just could not get into it and i don't know if i'm just not in a new wavy vibe or whatever but anything that is like moderately new wave lately i just lately like within the last month or two i just cannot get into um so i was gonna like deep dive into some modern english stuff and i just i was like no i can't do it i can't Couldn't do get it there no and it's yeah i wish there was more for me to talk about on this song but it's good it's my second favorite uh modern english cover and <laughs> that's about it that's it's that. in the top two so a lot of people listening might not even uh have tried to di- dig into modern english at all um but yeah the modern english song i met with you appears on their second lp which is called after the snow Uh, Modern English formed in 1979 and their early songs were heavily influenced, like were a lot darker. They were a lot more like like Joy Division-y. But Mm -hmm. uh, just like the guys in Joy Division, they lightened up a little with age. Um, Modern English, with Modern English, there's always a touch of sort of eerie darkness, but mostly they're known as an 80s pop standard, you know, in league with like the Human League and New Order and Depeche Mode. And as much as I'm sure the comparison is not totally welcome, Duran Duran. Uh, <laughs> I Melt With You was released as the second single from the album and it reached number 78 on the Hot 100 chart. Another note is the first three modern English records all came out on 4AD, which I think is pretty cool. 4AD is still in business. It's where it, like they've worked with bands like The Birthday Party and Blonde Redhead and TV on the Radio and The Pixies mm-hmm. um, and like a hundred other great bands, like very uh, punk adjacent label yeah. 4AD. Uh, lots of lots of really cool stuff has come out on 4AD. Like even, you know, St. Vincent, I think, put out a record on 4AD really yeah. recently. Um, so about the Good Riddance cover, at 14, I was definitely not into it. Um, not that it was bad or anything. I just thought it was kind of a bummer to have what, at the time, I thought, and like always looking for, you know, 
trying to be a fucking sarcastic dickhead. Uh, you know, I thought it was a bummer that at the end of this, you know, vicious, you know, this album full of vicious political attacks loaded with unrelenting statements about, you know, war and vegetarianism and personal responsibility to have some song that got played after, you know, like Phil Collins on the radio when you're in the grocery store. <laughs> sure. It just, I like, it was a joke that I wasn't ready for. I guess I was like a dour 14 year old or whatever. Like I just, I, I didn't, I didn't get why uh, the, the angriest, most political sounding band on fat decided to do this joke. Uh, of course, now as a grown up, I know that that is a horrible take and projecting expectations onto artists or anyone is a real waste of energy. Uh, <laughs> beyond that, the drums are thundering on this cover. Um, it's funny. Cause I feel like when we talk about a lot of the songs from forgotten country, I always feel like the drums don't fit with everything else going on in the song. Like the drums are there, they're holding it down. Mm -hmm. Whereas on this cover, I feel like this is Rich McDermott's favorite song. And he's just so stoked to be playing in a band that's covering it. And he gets to play it in a punk rock way rather than just the way that it is on the modern English record. Right. And, and like, it does like it, the drums are pretty, you know, tight and crushing and fun and like they're good. And then, the guitar is super piercing and a little faster than the original. And Russ's vocals sound so awesome. Uh, his voice is still pretty low at this point and really raw, but he's also singing this song that is like, like I said, gets played after Phil Collins at the grocery store. <clears throat> right. um, the way that they do the na na nas in the bridge still wreck it for me. Uh, <laughs> and, and like, I've seen them play this song live and they don't, they don't do the snotty na na nas. Like, um they when they play it live they, they actually sing it and it's really cool to see chuck and russ actually harmonize on a song of course it's probably been 20 ish years since i've seen them play this song live but yeah um maybe in 1995 it wasn't cool maybe it was like funny or ironic to say that you liked new wave or new romantic bands but the snotty nanas make you think that the cover is a joke but the rest of the song is very good and they're actually playing it really well mm -hmm. um so like, I don't know, it just sounds uneven. But again, I'm sitting here as a 40 year old talking about some guys who were 25 when they put out a record. So whatever, <laughs> fuck me. Of course, the fast part at the end is where like, that's the part that we're all hoping and waiting for. And we know that Russ writes killer love songs and the lyrics to Melt With You could easily be seen as like, maybe not a blueprint, but a strong inspiration. And also at this point, a lot of bigger punk bands were doing covers of seventies and eighties stuff. Mm -hmm. Some ironic, some actual tributes, you know, like Lagwagon did Brown Eyed Girl and No Use for a Name did Redemption Song. Um, on the Propaganda Outtakes record, they do a Venom cover. No Effects did Vincent, you know. Um, the point is, I think, and I will always appreciate obscure covers more than like obvious big hits when it comes to punk bands covering stuff. But here's my question. Rather than rather than talking about listener questions, I have a question for you, Dan, and I'm sure it's okay. one that listeners, listeners would want to weigh in on as well. Sure. I mentioned that I've seen Good Riddance play. Like, I've seen them play Come Dancing a couple times. I've seen mm -hmm. them play uh, um, the Battalion of Saints cover. I've seen them play Melt With You once or twice. But, like, where in a set should a band be playing a cover? If, if you've got, let's not say it's Good Riddance because Good Riddance plays for an hour or more at this point, but let's say it's some like warp Tour situation or a hall show situation where you're playing for like 20 minutes or a half hour. You got one cover you want to squeeze in there. Where in the set do you put it? This is a very interesting question. 
there's, I think there's a couple factors to think of. One, how big of a band? I know we're talking like a warp tour set where you have like a, a set, say 25, 30 minutes. Fine. Yeah. But how popular is said band? Let's say because, uh, well, this was Good Riddance's first full length, but let's say it's you've got three of your own albums out and you're playing a warp tour. If we're talking a warp tour setting, a warp so tour someone, setting? Yeah, someone, someone along the lines of a Good Riddance or an Avail in like 2000. Sure. It is, did the band get any sort of notoriety from the cover? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, because you know what? I, yeah, like if you're Save Ferris, you have to play Come On Eileen. If you're Limp Bizkit in that era, that time era, oh, you, you have, have to play, to play Faith. Faith. Yeah. And if you're, if you're Alien Ant Farm, you're playing Smooth Criminal. Mm. Uh, but it all, right. so it's, it's the way that if you're not a very popular band and you want to have your own song and like maybe a second song, maybe to get someone's attention, like just in the first block before you, you talk, your A block, if you will. I think that could be okay. If you're known for that cover, such as a excellent with Save Ferris, bring that up. Yeah. Um, well, that's got to be your encore then. If you're getting an encore, if not, it's your yeah. last or second to last song. Otherwise, yeah. if you're just, I don't know, if you're a band like, uh, even like a band that's that's touring and doing like good stuff now and uh, either like co-headlining stuff or if you want to throw a cover in there that you're not particularly known for, but just the cover that your band does, middle of the set is great. Keeps it mm -hmm. interesting, right? And it's almost like a turning point. I mean, like I've seen bands like junior battles like at fest all of a sudden you're like all right we're gonna do uh, kelly clarkson since you've been gone in the middle of a set and then everyone yeah. has a good time um seeing the flats they've done that um tragically hip cover before you know in the middle or a sloan cover when i saw them at um bo's Oktoberfest. like just slide them in because people aren't there to see the covers for those bands but yeah uh, yeah i feel if, if you don't really have a big pull um you can throw a cover in early if you're only pop, not if you're only popular, if you're mainly popular because of um, a kitschy cover that you did near the end or the encore, like you're saying. Otherwise, uh, yeah, throw it in the middle. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. <laughs> for for off the top of the head, for someone who's never actually been in a band, right? That's the, yeah, my yeah. that's my opinion. It's a very very important, very valid opinion. Well, I was gonna say, did did you have an answer for that? But yeah, I think I agree for the most part. I think if you're, you know, the third band on a seven band bill playing in a Knights of Columbus Hall and you want to get someone's attention in the room that maybe they don't already know, you play a band that is a big influence to you, not uh, a funny, goofy thing, right? Right, right. You know, like, like you show up at like the, you know, also, I think here's a weird, <laughs> here's a weird cover rule that I don't know anyone actually follows except for me in my own brain is that you can't cover a band that is presently active. I've heard that a lot, but uh, okay, so it's not just me. No, no, I have heard that, but I don't totally agree. Yeah. Only in the sense where it's like, okay, okay, so if you're in a hardcore band and uh, you want to cover something like comeback kid or hate breed if it's old stuff i don't think it's a problem or sick of it all if it's old oh, stuff i don't okay. see it so much as a problem but if you're like oh i'm starting a, a hardcore band and i'm gonna cover the new turnstile song i think come on man like let's 
like, I don't think that's, uh, but at the end of the day, like, whatever, do what you want. But that's the, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. It's, um, I think there's like classic bands who are still doing things that are exempt from that rule, for example. Does that make okay. sense? I don't yeah, know. sure. I'm still waiting yeah. for this energy drink to kick in. So, yeah. Like, how many, how many times have you seen a band cover Bad Religion? And, like, let's be honest, many. at this point, Bad Religion is never going to stop. That, that's actually an excellent point. That's not even a hardcore band that I should have thought of, or even no effects covers too. Yeah, those bands who have been around for forever. I think are kind of exempt from the you can't cover them because they're still active type thing. Mm-hmm. It's if you're covering the new stuff. It's like I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that's a, that's a little rough. Uh, should we pick next week's songs? Sure. I actually have one uh, question for you quickly. Oh, okay. It's like a little bit of a throwback here. We had Josh right. from the Family Cast send us a message yes. a while back, like in June, about uh, yeah. um, one of our questions. Um, but it specifically had to do with yesterday's headlines. Uh, but yeah, right. we, 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 didn't, uh, we didn't use it. And I somehow remember to make a note of it. But Josh would like to know what adult beverage or NA for a straight edge would you pair with yesterday's headlines? So let's just say uh, a cocktail and a mocktail. Why not? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think it's got to be something that uh, sounds scarier than it is. Because I okay. think going into Good Riddance's fifth full length and having the drummer from Kid Dynamite uh, might lead you to think that you're about uh, you're about to get an all-out attack. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what the song is. I think maybe there's like a sneaky amount of Campari or like uh or fernet in there where like the sure. first time you try it you're just like oh this is weird but then you can't stop drinking it after because it's tasty and there's lots of uh non-alcoholic versions of campari and stuff that you can mm-hmm. kind of make using orange peels and spices and kind of grind them together and dump some soda on top of it so it's probably like a yeah like a like a campari soda or fernet and soda kind of situation i would say is yesterday's headlines i like it campari soda delicious definitely yeah. underrated yeah. real simple yeah yeah <laughs> yes extremely simple Cool. You happy, Josh? You got the question. I'm happy. I'm well, happy. I meant the other Josh, but yes. Yeah, sure. yeah, I'm happy. Okay. I'm not concerned about his happiness. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like I like Josh. Hey, Josh. <laughs> Hopefully he likes this uh, ragging on him like that, but we'll see. No, he'll be good with it. He's good. Perfect. It's good. We're friends. We got that Josh bond. <laughs> the Joshisms. Oh, yeah. We're picking songs, hey? Yes. The hot diggity apparel bag. Unofficial sponsor. Uh, yeah, officially unofficial sponsor. We have from Capricorn One, Patriarch. Okay. Number two. From Peace in Our Time, Running on Fumes, which is how Sick. I feel that I've been living my life lately. Yeah. Yeah, that week of vacation. And since then, you're just back on it. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, relapsed, if you will. And another one from Capricorn One, Me from Adam. Oh, okay. Yeah, Me from Adam is not one that I've been looking forward to. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's going to be that's gonna be a weird show. Okay. <laughs> um, no spoilers. <laughs> but... No, I'm not going to give anything away. Oh, okay, I'm stressed out now, but I'm interested. <laughs> all right cool then if uh anyone else is stressed out but interested in anything we're talking about how do they reach out so <laughs> they should let us know uh either by email at uh, lastbeliever at gmail.com or uh by instagram at uh, lastbeliever pod 
also do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash lastbelieverpod. Uh, should you feel like tossing a couple bucks the way of your favorite bozos just to help uh, cover some costs here. And uh, yeah, more than anything, always we ask that you uh, refer to a friend. Get a friend involved who might like uh, punk rock or two bozos getting high on nostalgia and just having a <laughs> yeah. champagne jam over here. Always, always with the champagne jams. All right. Uh, ne- next time you hear from us, uh, we'll be talking about the songs Patriarch and Running on Fumes and Me from Adam, all by Good Riddance. Thanks, of course, to the guys in Good Riddance for uh, letting us and uh, continue to do this without telling us that we're doing it wrong. Really appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, thanks to Fat Records for the same reason. Dan, thanks for hanging out this week. Hey. Uh, thanks for having the hot diggity bag ready to go. Yeah, and, I didn't have to uh, run in the other room this time. It's good. Yeah, yeah. It worked out great. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Yep. Hey boys, how we doing? Hopefully uh, I could be a guest someday on the Last Believer podcast. That would be pretty cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is Russ from Good Riddance. You are listening to the Last Believer podcast.